I'd like to open uh, the sermon with uh, the lyrics of the 1996 Spice Girls super hit song. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'd like to turn the song into a deeply existential question. What do we really, really, really want in this life? Have you, have you wrestled with this question? What do you really want in life? What will make you the most happiest in life? What will make you the most content, the most fulfilled in life? Is it, is it love that we really want? As a teenager, I thought that, that love, is, love is what uh, uh, we really want. Uh, I really believed that until I got married. And uh, then I realized that as beautiful as love is, uh, it alone is not enough. My wife and I, uh, we've been married uh, 20 years now. And uh, would we have been happy if we had spent the last 20 years uh, on a honeymoon in Mauritius on some fancy island? 20 years of honeymoon in Mauritius uh, uh, on a fancy island, just loving on each other. I don't think we would have been happy with that. We also need other things. So what about comfort? Will we be truly happy if we had all the comfort we needed? I don't think so. Or what about security? Just being fully secure, is that going to leave us deeply fulfilled, deeply happy? I don't think so either. I have a strong suspicion that none of us will eventually settle for mere love or security or comfort. Deep down, what all of us really, really, really want is glory. I suspect that most of us will not settle for anything less than glory. We all want great success, which is perhaps uh, how success, that's, that's the word, that's perhaps how this culture has translated the word glory. We all want glory. You know, we'd actually figured, uh, thought we were, we were trying to do a poll right now. Uh, uh, sadly, it's not working, but we'll try again another time. Where we, we wanted to ask people, um, is, that re is that what you really, really want? Uh, so, we, you know, we had a software where you can do a poll and you can see the results. Sadly, the software isn't working. But we can do a quick uh, show of hands or, or a thumbs up uh, and then, you know, you might want to do that on the chat box. You might want to do the screen. Uh, here's a simple question. Deep, deep down, glory or success, is that what you really, really want? Uh, if it's a yes, show us a thumbs up. If it's a no, just show us a thumbs down. You can do it on chat. You can do it on video. Maybe you'll give us a sense of how we all feel. Yeah? Some of us are not sure. That's, that's good, too. That's all right, too. Yeah? So it is, it is, it is a very important part. Yeah, we, we really have a deep soul craving for this. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the biblical book of 1 Thessalonians. The theme of the series, the sermon series, is waiting well. How do we wait well for Jesus Christ to come back again and lead us into eternal life and make this world perfect and beautiful once again? The passage we're going to be looking at is what really uh, led me to think about glory. You'll see the connection as we read the passage. 
I'm going to read. Uh, it's a very small passage. I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 to 20. This is from the New Testament of the Bible, which is that part of the Bible that was written after Jesus uh, uh, came to earth. Let me read this out for us. This is Paul. Paul is an amazing follower of Jesus. He's writing this. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. This is God's word. I hope verse 19, uh, the last part of the passage that I read, caught your attention. Let me read that again for us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Paul is saying something outrageous here. I don't know if you caught it. He is saying, we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Paul is saying, we will glory in his presence. Imagine this with me, please. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come back again. He's going to come back with every eye in the world will see. And we're going to see him in his beautiful, dazzling, glorious. We're going to see the creator of heaven and earth. And as we see him, we will glory in his presence. That's what we're going to be exploring this morning. If you are who we would call an explorer, someone who's here because a friend invited you, or if you're kind of just new to this church experience, and you're just curious about Jesus, uh, or maybe you're not even thinking about Jesus, you're here because a friend invited you. Uh, if that's you, you might be thinking, right now that hey all this talk of jesus coming back and the glory we'll have uh, it, it, this might sound kind of a fairy tale uh, for you uh, your rational mind is probably telling you that that this is not true hey I, I i respect your point of view you're on your journey and you have a right to make your journey at your pace and uh, we, we don't want to crowd you on that journey we, we want to give you the space so we're glad you're here we we're delighted you're here but we want you to explore and think about this at your, at your pace. But let me just ask you this. You may not believe in this fairy tale, but does not your heart deeply desire this fairy tale? Do you not desire glory? Do we all not frequently dream and fantasize about how gloriously successful we would all like to be in our own little worlds. Worlds. And here's what I'd like you to think about. What if, what if it was God himself who put that desire for glory in your heart? And what if Jesus is indeed offering you this glory you desire, but only what he is offering you is a trillion times more dazzling than anything that you ever dreamt about? 
The Bible tells us that Jesus promises everyone who believes in him two kinds of glory. There is a glorious body, a glorious self, a glorious eternal life that Jesus has promised to everyone who believes in him. Theologians call this glorification of believers. Just like there's justification, which, which is us being pronounced perfect when we come to faith in Jesus. Just like there's sanctification, which is Jesus making us better and better day by day. There is also glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. These are all part of the salvation package that we all get when we believe Jesus. This get glory is guaranteed to everyone who believes in Jesus. The second glory is the glory and the rewards that Jesus will bestow on each of us for our individual and specific good works. This is the glory that Paul is talking about in this passage. If you remember from the earlier sermon, if you haven't listened to the earlier sermon, it's still fine. I'm just going to listen. In any case, Paul loved the Thessalonian church well. He loved them sacrificially. He loved them faithfully. He loved them as a father loves them. He loves them as a mother tenderly uh, nurses her infant. He, he loved them so much. And having loved them well, he is looking forward to the glory and the reward he would receive from Jesus when Christ comes back again. And that's why Paul is saying, our hope, our joy, our crown, in which we will glory in the presence of Jesus when he comes, is you. I want to spend a few quick minutes on, on the first glory that we talked about, glory that all of us get. And, this, and then we'll move to the second glory, the glory or the reward that each of us will get for our good works. And I want to draw three things for us uh, from this passage that we read. First, I want to talk about the surprising truth about glory. Then I want to talk about the surprising certainty of glory. And third, the surprising path to glory. The surprising truth about glory, the surprising certainty of glory, and the surprising path to glory. Let's start with the surprising truth about glory. Think of one or two of your toddlers. Do you think they're merely happy with food and, and security and love? Haven't we all seen a toddler showing off his or her toys or maybe her, her bicycle riding skills? Or haven't you seen a toddler beam when he could recite a poem or, or sing a song and, and everybody begins to applaud him? What's, we've all seen that. What's happening there? The toddler is getting his or her first taste of glory. And she is discovering that she loves it. Think about your teenage years. Were you merely happy being just a member of your, of your gang? Didn't you long for influence? Didn't you long for attention? Did you long, didn't we all long to be the smartest guy in the group or the, or the prettiest girl in the group? Or take your life now in the workplace? Yeah. Are any of us happy with a, with a decent raise and a, a promotion once in nine, ten years maybe? No. All of us dream about success and glory and applause in our careers. Think about it. Here is the surprising truth about glory. It was God who gave us this desire 
for glory. I'll explain this in a minute. We have this deep and compulsive desire for glory because God created us glorious. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God. Let me just read a, a, a portion from the creation account of the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then it goes on to say, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, we were made glorious because we were made in the image of God. God is glorious. And if we are made in the image of God, we are glorious too. We all seek glory because we were all made in the glorious image of God. But we are also fallen. We are also sinful. We are broken. And we have also perverted the original glory in which we were made into something selfish, something that can often harm others for the sake of our own glory, or maybe even harm ourselves in order to get the glory we want. Because we were made glorious, and because we lost that glory we were made in because of sin, we are all still yearning for the glory that we lost. Which is why we are all compulsive glory seekers. We have no choice except to seek glory. We are wired that way. And so, your thirst for glory and my thirst for glory is both beautiful and sinful at the same time. It's both beautiful and wicked at the same time. It's beautiful. Because in some way, in a, even if we don't believe God, even if you might be an atheist at this point in time, in some deep way, this desire for glory is, is us deciding the original glory in which God created us. And we remember, deep inside our hearts, we know that we are not nothing. We are not mere ordinary things. We know, tell me, every one of us, we do believe deep inside we are special. This is coming from the glory with which God created us. So it's beautiful in a way because we're just yearning for the glory God created us. But at the same time, it is also sinful. It is sinful because we are not seeking God's definition of glory. We are seeking our own selfish definition of glory. This is a surprising truth of our glory. We were all made glorious. And so we are always seeking the glory we lost because of sin. That's the first thing I want to draw for us from the passage. That's the surprising truth about glory. Let's move on to the second thing that I want to draw for us from the passage, and that's the surprising certainty of glory. All of us, we so often truncate the gospel to the gospel of mere forgiveness. Yes, the gospel, which is basically the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Yes, this is the gospel of forgiveness. But Jesus earned for us more than mere forgiveness. He also earned for us eternal glory in God's presence. We, we forget this a lot. And I want to just help us with reading through a few promises uh, that the Bible assures us 
of the glorification of all believers, of everyone who believes in Jesus. I'm going to read a few passages from the Bible. I'm reading from Philippians, another book in the New Testament, chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Amazing. Or look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, another book in the New Testament. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. Our being, we all who with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Are being transformed into the same image, which is the image of God, from one degree to another. The glorification of all believers is a biblical certainty. And I've saved the best verse for the last. I'm sure this is going to blow our minds. Reading from Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Actually, the last book of the Bible. Behold, this is Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the doors, I will come in and, uh, to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Think about this. Jesus is saying he will grant us to sit with him on his throne. When we believed in Jesus, we were all happy to settle for our sins being forgiven. Did, tell me, did any of us sign up uh, uh, for salvation to sit with Jesus on his throne? Did, did, did we have that expectation when we believed in Jesus? No, we were just so grateful that he would forgive us our sins. But Jesus not only forgive us our sins, but he's inviting that we would find glory in his presence. That's the second thing. This is the surprising certainty of glory. Salvation is not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but also the assurance that we will regain our glory lost. You know, some of us have this illusion that Christianity is, is, is boring and it's kind of a wet blanket. Uh, you know, you, you kind of have to kind of lose everything. You have to have become religious. You have to become one of these holy, holy types. Uh, and we forget in that that in, in holiness is glory. In holiness is joy. And, uh, and, and what Jesus has for us is, is just something beautiful. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the, the beautiful things that God has prepared for those of us who love him in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to the third thing that I want to uh, talk about this morning. We're finally coming now to the glory that Paul is talking about in this passage that we're looking at today. The glory or reward that God gives us for the good works we do. Again, please think about this for a moment. When we believe in Jesus, no sin we commit will ever be counted against us because Jesus was punished in our place. But also, no good deed we ever do will ever be overlooked. It's really uh, uh, extraordinary if you think about it. We will all receive the reward 
for every good work we ever do, but we will never receive the punishment for any sin we commit. And all we need to do is to enjoy this, is to believe in this Jesus who died for us and rose again from the dead. What an amazing gospel this is. And that brings us to the third thing, the surprising path to glory. As I was sharing earlier, Paul loved the Thessalonians dearly. And having loved them well with a Christ-like love, he is confident, Paul is confident, he will find glory in Christ's presence when Jesus comes again because of his selfless service to people. And that's what I want to draw out for us. Our service to others brings us glory in God's presence. Our service to others brings us glory in God's presence. As I've been saying, we are all compulsive glory seekers. We were created in the glorious image of God himself. And so we can be happy with nothing less than glory in the very eyes of God. We can be happy with nothing less than glory in the very presence of God because that's what we were created for. So the question is not whether we seek glory or not. The question is what kind of glory do we seek? We have to seek glory. We are wired for that. That's not the question. What kind of glory do we seek? Are we seeking earthly glory that comes from seeking to serve the self? Or are we seeking godly glory that comes by seeking to serve others? That's what Paul did. He received godly glory by serving others in the church that he planted sacrificially. What kind of glory are we living for? There's a man named David Brooks. And David Brooks is a, is a columnist for the New York Times. Uh, some time ago, he wrote a very interesting column. It's available as a column. Uh, you can Google it up. It's available as a TED Talk. And David Brooks is the name in case you want to uh, Google it up. In his uh, column and in his TED Talk, Brooks says there are two sets of virtues. The first he calls the resume virtues. And the second he calls the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. And I'm quoting David Brooks here. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful. Were you capable of deep love? The resume virtues are all about confidence. The eulogy virtues are all about character. Which is more important? Which is more lasting? And I quote Brooks as he asks and answers this question in his column. This is Brooks. Uh, in his own words, uh, most of us, including me, would say that the eulogy virtues are, are the more important of the virtues. But at least in my case, they are the ones, are they the ones I think about the most? The answer is no. Brooks is, Brooks is saying that while we all acknowledge that the eulogy virtues are the more important, are more important than the resume virtues, the reality is we all end up living more for the resume virtues. Isn't this true of all of us? Let's, let's consider the lives we've been living over the last three, four months, especially during these difficult times. Have we been living for resume glory or have we been living for eulogy 
glory. If we were to be honest with ourselves, we'll all acknowledge that so often, more often than not, we've all been living for the wrong kind of glory. We have to acknowledge that we're living for mere resume glory rather than live for the greater and more lasting theology glory. So how do we change? How do we become the better men and women that we all desire to be? How do we reorient our thirst for glory? How do we seek godly glory by serving others instead of chasing fleeting and earthly glory by serving our own selves? We change by gazing at Jesus Christ. When we see the glory that Jesus sought for himself, we are both inspired and empowered to change our definition of glory. So what was the glory that Jesus sought for himself? Let's go back again to the book of John that we're reading together. I'm reading from John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man, that's Jesus Christ, to be glorified. All through the books of John, whenever it says the hour, it refers to the hour of Jesus' crucifixion. When Jesus said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, Jesus is actually saying the hour has come for him to be crucified. In other words, Jesus is saying that his crucifixion is his glorification. His crucifixion is his glorification. Shamed, mocked, spat upon, beaten, publicly insulted, bruised, stripped naked and hung on a pole, nailed to the tree, bled to death. What we would call humiliation, Jesus calls his glorification. Why is that? Why is Jesus calling his death on the cross as his glorification? Jesus saw his crucifixion as his glorification because his death on the cross and his resurrection was his service to men and women. Jesus was living out the truth that the service of men brings glory in God's presence. He died on the cross, taking your sins and mine upon himself. He gave his life. He gave his body to be broken, to be the sacrifice, to atone for all of your sins. At the cross, Jesus emptied himself. He poured himself out in the service of men and women. And it is in emptying himself of all his glory that Jesus was glorified the most. He calls his crucifixion, his glorification. Because Jesus knew that true glory in God's presence comes 
in the service of others. Ultimately, Jesus is the only man who ever always put eulogy glory over resume glory. The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. It is only when we see the Son of God being glorified by emptying himself in the service of mere men that we see the surprising path to glory. The surprising path to glory in God's presence lies in the sacrificial service of others. This morning, would you repent? Would we repent and turn and allow this truth to shape our careers and shape our ambitions? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. He was broken so that we can be made whole. He lost all his glory. It wasn't taken away from him. He laid it down willingly. And he became ugly and, and rejected and despised, not just by men, but also by the Father. Because he was being punished for our sins. And in laying down his glory, in taking our ugliness upon himself, he brought us back. He regained for us the glory that we lost when sin entered the world. We pray, Lord, even now, by the power of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, would you reorient every one of our thirst for glory? Would you get us back on the right track that we would move towards Jesus and the glory he guarantees us? Thank you, Father. We worship you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.